You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, today is uh, PFF Day. We're going to go through, look at the grades, look at the stats, see what we can glean from that. Um, And then I want to kind of take a step back, do a little bit of a where are we at right now kind of a thing. We did this a little bit yesterday on Packernet After Dark, but I want to kind of dig in a little bit deeper. So without further ado, well, let's start on special teams. I kind of like doing that so we don't end on a stupid note. Uh, not a ton here. So so most people fall in the 50s to 60s category, and I usually just discard it. It doesn't mean a ton, and it's, it's a small enough... Um, it's close enough to 60 that I look at it and go, PFF, yeah. I'm not going to worry about a guy that gets like a 58 and be like, he was slow, slightly. They don't know what they're talking about. Um, with that said, Kingsley and Igbare, a 46 PFF grade, and then Quay Walker with a 29 PFF grade on special teams. On the positive side, though, we had Eric Wilson, finally, been begging for him to have another good day. He's our special teams guy, like the special teams guy. He had an 80.2 grade. And Isaiah McDuffie, another big special team guy that is on our team, 82.7. He had two tackles. Eric Wilson had one. There were only three tackles on special teams, and it was those two guys. But all right, back to offense. And you probably have already seen at least the big picture of this. But um, the good grades, Zach Tom was third, somehow I mean, I guess it was run blocking is is the reason why, which is stupid. But he was third. Romeo Dobbs with a 71 was second. Samori Ture with a 76.6 grade uh, was actually the highest graded. Then on the bad side, sort of below 55 is where I usually go. Luke Musgrave, 54.8. Aaron Jones with a 54.5, which is probably not what a lot of people would have expected, but his drop pass obviously hurt and his run... Didn't do much as a runner. Um, and then Dontavian Wicks, 51.4. Royce Newman, 42.7 PFF grade. Jordan Love, and again, I kind of talked about this yesterday, so you may have heard some of this already, but PFF gave him a 68 grade, 67.2, which seems like it's right at about where he's always been. But this is actually his highest graded game, which is both exciting and pathetic at the same time. However... completion percentage. Desperately, desperately needed that. Especially considering how he started, it's shocking that he ended up 23 of 36. But he did. 246 yards. He did have one touchdown and two interceptions, which isn't great, but PFF gave him two big-time throws at 5.1%, which is extremely high, and zero turnover-worthy plays, meaning they didn't blame him for either of those interceptions. His adjusted completion percentage, when you account for drops and those kinds of things, was 70.6%. His highest prior to this was 63%. His highest completion percentage was 55%. So you went from 55% to 64%. Adjusted completion percentage went from 63 to 70. That's fantastic. I mean, that is that is a normal quarterback performance. I'm just so happy to see that. The other things, I mean, he he graded out poorly while under pressure. Um, that wasn't great, but I think 
the benefit for me was the fact that he was still able to operate while there was a heavy amount of pressure in the game. Um, the other really positive thing is under pressure, he had a 42 PFF grade, but while clean, as in not under pressure, he had an 85 PFF grade, 82.5 passing grade. That is by far the, I mean, Jordan Love showed up to play big time in this game and the offensive line let him like this. What I'm saying basically is this was going to be Jordan Love's coming out party. Like for those that didn't believe this was going to be the game based on what we're seeing here, but he was under pressure 48% of the time. I mean, that's, that's for quarterbacks with terrible offensive lines. That's high. It was 22% last week. So it was like double 48%. That's crazy. 22 of his 40, well, 20 of his 42 dropbacks, he was under pressure. Imagine if instead of 22 dropbacks, it was 32 dropbacks where he was kept clean and still had an 85 PFF grade. It would have been, I'm guessing, quite a performance from Jordan, but we never got to see it. Another benefit was the deep passing. It's been kind of a concern of mine. He had a 74 PFF grade. It's not necessarily elite. It's pretty standard, I guess, but I'm just happy to see it. He was two completions on three attempts for 79 yards and a big-time throw. So we're slowly moving in the direction of starting to check a couple boxes, which is great. Receiving, not a ton to take away here. Uh, Samori Ture, though, was, as far as why he had the highest grade, he only ran nine routes and caught 35 yards. So obviously that's going to, he had 3.89 yards per route run is pretty impressive, but, you know, it's a it's 135-yard catch. The other kind of unusual thing that happened in this game was the excessive use of Josiah DeGuara and the lack of usage in Luke Musgrave when you look at the snap counts. Josiah, so if you look at just, I was, the primary thing I was looking at is who's playing in the slot the most. Jaden Reed, 75%. Josiah DeGuara, 70% from the slot. I don't know if that's ever happened before. He had four targets, four receptions, 34 yards. So they decided to try to put him in that role. He ran 25 routes. That's high, 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 high for Josiah. Luke Musgrave ran nine routes and was in the slot 45% of the time. So I don't know what that was. Uh, running the ball, again, Aaron Jones had a 64 running grade. Jordan Love had a 61 rushing grade. A.J. Dillon, 58 rushing grade. Um, Aaron Jones had 3.6 yards per attempt. A.J. Dillon, 2.2 yards per attempt. Nobody had a missed tackle forced. 1.6 yards after contact for Aaron Jones. 1.8 after contact for A.J. Dillon. And just nothing else here. Um, blocking is where things obviously were at their worst. Rashid Walker had uh, actually a 60-69 pass blocking grade, a 52 run blocking grade, but it's really the stats that are the, that are the hard thing to look at. There were 22 total pressures in this game, five sacks, three hits, 14 hurries. Rashid Walker accounted for two sacks and two hurries in this game, which by itself is terrible. But then you have left guard Royce Newman, who, I mean, I just saw a clip from... Andy Herman, that is like the, the biggest, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually kind of hilarious, but in a very infuriating kind of way. I mean, at one point he tries to frog splash a guy coming across like what best case scenario, what happens there? I just, I have no idea what in the world the guy is doing. He had a 42 pass blocking grade, a 42 run blocking grade. It's just, there's nothing redeemable there. Um, one sack, one hit and three hurries given up five pressures for him. 
Center Josh Myers had a 62 pass blocking grade and a 65 run blocking grade. He gave up a sack and a hurry. Right guard John Runyon had a 49 pass blocking grade, which is horrific for him, and a 57 run blocking grade. He gave up a sack, a hit, and three hurries. Staggering. I mean, the the, the goal here is somewhere between zero and one hurry. Like, that's, that's, that's the standard here for Green Bay Packers offensive linemen, especially on the interior. Maybe one hurry. The other option is zero. Giving up four for the left tackle, five for the left guard, two for the center, and five for the right guard is completely unacceptable. Then the right tackle, Zach Tom, gave up the most pressures of anybody on the team with six. He gave up five hurries and a hit. He had a 59.8 pass blocking grade, but an 83.5 run blocking grade. So fantastic news there. Um, our best blocker of the day was actually Josiah DeGuara, 88.6 run blocking grade, the highest on the team, and a 74 pass blocking grade, which is the second highest on the team after A.J. Dillon. So apparently our running backs and our, well, let's see, our highest pass blocking grade was A.J. Dillon. Our second highest pass blocking grade was Josiah DeGuara. Our third highest pass blocking grade was Tucker Craft. Our fourth highest pass blocking grade was Ben Sims. Our fifth highest pass blocking grade was Luke Musgrave. Our sixth highest pass blocking grade was Rasheed Walker. I mean, if that doesn't tell you how the day went, good lord. And then finally, defensively, um, sub-55, we got Kenny Clark at a 53, Darnell Savage at a 52, Carrington Valentine at a 52, Keyshawn Nixon at a 49, Lucas Van Ness at a 46, and Kingsley Enigbare at a 45. Positive grades, Corey Ballantyne, 70, Colby Wooden, 72, Rudy Ford, 74, and Rashawn Gary with an 82.4. Run defense, the negatives, Rudy Ford, 51, Devontae Wyatt, 49, Kingsley, 47, Carl Brooks, 46, Carrington Valentine, 41. Tackling, uh, or excuse me, the, the positives, we had uh, Colby Wooden, 71, Darnell Savage, 76, Tackling the bad ones were just missed tackles. I'm not going to bother reading that. Uh, pass rush. Let's see. Quay, Kingsley, Lucas, Preston, and Kenny were all basically low 50s. Carl Brooks uh, and Devontae Wyatt were in the 70s. Rashawn Gary, 85. Coverage grades. Lucas Van Ness, who cares? Keyshawn Nixon and Darnell Savage were in the 40s. And then Carrington, or excuse me, Corey Ballantyne, 70. Rudy Ford, 78. I will say it's good to see Rudy Ford back-to-back. I mentioned last week that he had, I think he was our highest-graded player, um, and that that wasn't necessarily uncommon. It's just the consistency that's the problem. He'll have a 90 PFF grade followed by a 30. So followed it up with a 73 this week, so that's nice to see. Statistically, Devontae Wyatt and Rashawn Gary actually tied for four pressures. Um, Actually, Devontae outpaced them, so they both had 14 pressure attempts. But... um, Wyatt had four pressures, including a sack. Rashawn Gary just had the four pressures. Wildly impressive for both of them, though. I mean, that's that's 28-29%. That's psycho level, which is consistent for Rashawn this entire season. Carl Brooks had two pressures on 14 attempts. That's fantastic. Colby Wooden had one pressure on four attempts. Uh, he's not playing a ton right now, but he took advantage of his opportunities there. Uh, Isaiah McDuffie, one pressure attempt, and he had one pressure. Preston Smith had one pressure on 21 attempts. That's kind of horrible. 
Lucas Van Ness had zero in his 11 attempts. I mean, you're shooting for between, you know, you're looking for roughly one and he had zero. So I guess, I guess that's a failure. Kingsley and Igbari had zero on eight. TJ Slayton had zero on 16 attempts. Holland, zero on four, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then the two sacks were Carl Brooks and Devontae Wyatt. Batted passes, Carl Brooks had one. Tackles, Quay Walker, 14. Rudy Ford, eight. And then down from there. Stops, Quay Walker, seven. Preston, five. Down from there. And then looking at the coverage statistics, Quay Walker was the most targeted. Eight targets, six receptions, 36 yards. After that, Keyshawn, five targets, four receptions, 30 yards. Um, he was actually our lowest uh, coverage grade, I think. Or no, Darnell Savage was. He had a really low coverage grade too, though. But Razula was the one that was really getting kind of beat up on. Five targets, just three receptions, but it went for 57 yards and a touchdown. Rudy Ford, three targets, two receptions, 28 yards and a pick. Carrington Valentine, two targets, one reception. 26 yards. Lucas Van Ness, one target, one reception, five yards. Isaiah McDuffie, one target, one reception, five yards. And Darnell Savage, uh, one target, one reception, 23 yards. But again, PFF absolutely freaking hated him in coverage today or Thursday, whatever. Interestingly enough, though, zero penalties. I didn't even notice that, but zero penalties. So anyways, we were up through that pretty quick. We're getting efficient with that. Why don't we go ahead and take our first break real quick? Patreon.com forward slash back underscore daddy if you want to support the podcast. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, so here's sort of question of the day. Because I know everybody's in sort of panic mode right now, and 
everybody that had a bad day or whatever needs to be gone. And so we need to get rid of John Runyon. We need to get rid of Josh Myers. We need to get rid of Royce Newman. We need to get rid of Rashid. Zach Tom needs to play somewhere along the interior for some reason. He just needs to be a guard or a center or a right guard or play all three of those positions. And Dylan needs to go. And Razul should probably go. Bakhtiari is not even playing, but he needs to get cut or traded. But in all seriousness, if we're going to call this an assessment year, what is our assessment? Because this is kind of the issue that I had for myself today. What do I know that we have? Because this is what's tough for Brian Gutekunst moving forward. You have to assess exactly where we're at and exactly what we need and what would help us move forward um, the easiest. And and, and here's, here's another exercise for you. Let's say you get two draft picks that pan out and one free agent. And you get the benefit of knowing which ones they are. So you can pick three positions. What are you fixing? And understand, it. if I were to do this more accurately, I would give you like three free agents and, what, eight picks? And then I would randomly choose one of your free agents and two of your draft picks, and you're stuck with whatever the results are. But I'm, I'm giving you three. What are you doing? Because again, if we get rid of Runyon, Myers, Newman, we need that's three right there. We need a we need new guards. We need a, an entirely new interior. We also need another running back. We could probably use another defensive tackle, a corner, and two safeties. See, oh, I, and and a left tackle, obviously, to replace David Bakhtiari. So we need four offensive linemen. So, and this is the point I was trying to make yesterday in terms of I I don't want to get rid of guys. I just want them to be better like they used to be. That's why we need Runyon and Myers to step up. That's also why we need some level of patience because we're kind of just screwing ourselves if we get rid of them. Maybe they're never going to get better. But who is it we feel comfortable with? That's, let's, let's start with that as the first question. I'm confident that this player is going to be at least a good player from now and into the future on offense. For me personally... And I understand that there are varying degrees and there are kinds of questions or whatever, but Elton Jenkins, Zach Tom on the offensive line. I would love to be able to say Myers and Runyon, but they really have to prove something. Zero of the tight ends. Yes, I'm optimistic Musgrave will at some point be something positive, but I, 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 it's foolish to sit here today and say, oh, he's definitely the dude. That's nonsense. I don't have an answer on Love. Jones is not long-term. I don't know about Dylan. I'm not positive about Reed, although he's off to a great start. I like Dobbs. And I really want to say Watson. I'm I'm fairly confident, but it's like we, we just had a, such a small sample size last year that was positive, and he just came back this week, so I don't know. So we have Dobbs, we have a receiver, two offensive linemen, and what? It's about it. Now, if we extend that out a little bit into, like, I, I think we're probably going to be okay slash it's too early slash it's not going to be a priority Dobbs Reed Watson Love Musgrave Tom Runyon Myers Elton and uh, Dylan and assuming we keep Jones at least one more year we got that so really realistically what we absolutely have to do is get another left tackle everything else is more or less kind of settled here not to say that it's great, because there's a big... And that's that's kind of the point. There's a huge gap between this is settled and this is absolutely a need. On defense, Rashawn Gary, uh, Jair, I'll say Razul, although, number one, I don't know exactly how long-term he is, and number two, you know, 
eh, I don't know. But I think that's roughly it. Kenny, I, th- I think, has been pretty solid through the start of this season. But I don't know that he's really demonstrated that he is a top-tier, long-term option. Nobody else on the interior has really proven anything. Slayton is a sometimes good run defender, but not nearly good enough, and he's not a pass rusher. Wyatt is a pass rusher, but he's inconsistent at that, and he hasn't proven to be a run defender at all. Wooden and Brooks are still working through some stuff. Preston has been a pretty terrible pass rusher that has saved his season so far by being a competent run defender. Lucas Van Ness hasn't proved anything. Hollins hasn't proved anything. Keyshawn Nixon, I think, is just not a... I think he's a subpar slot corner. Um, Quay, I'm I'm not 100% sold on, although I think he's he's right there. We just need more consistency from him. And I don't think we have anything at safety. But in terms of priority, right? Like, this has to be done. I would like an upgrade at slot. It would be nice to have a, a better option in run defense at the interior defensive line. Although there's nobody I can really point to to say, get that piece of crap out of here because I like our defensive linemen. Linebacker is settled, and I kind of think we might need two new safeties. I like Ford, and I like Savage more than most, but Ford, I think, is a solid backup. Savage, I don't think, is going to be a backup, but he plays like one anyway. So if he's going to stay, it would be nice to have him as a backup, but I don't think that that's really in the cards. So that's, that, that to me is the tough thing, right? If, if I'm looking at it and I'm saying I feel 100% confident in it, I mean, we got like Elton Jenkins, Zach Tom, I guess Romeo Dobbs, Rashawn Gary, Jair, maybe Razul. There's like six guys. So when we're, re- when we're building a team and we have to go in a direction, where the heck are we going? Do we focus on offense and just hope that Joe Barry's the problem and fire him and bring somebody else in and just hope that it fixes itself? Do we get a left tackle and say, okay, offense is fixed. Let's get this defense going and just invest more, 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 more picks in the defense. Do we do kind of like the opposite of what we've been doing? We start doing first round uh, picks on the offense and then we go straight defense. Just get a tackle and then just go all defense with like a guard mixed in somewhere and a running back in the sixth round. The problem is it's an evaluation year and I feel like I haven't learned much. Like there's a lot of flailing going on. There's a lot of anger and, and hyperbole and fire this person, cut that guy, but I don't know. It's hard to assess any one thing because the whole thing isn't working, right? It's hard to assess Jordan Love because the offensive line and the wide receivers are so young, you don't really know exactly how much is on Love and how much he can grow and da-da-da-da. And with Dylan, the offensive line and the defense because of the defensive coordinator slash, you know, everybody else in that defense. I guess what I'm hoping for is for more of these pieces to get put into these columns of where I feel comfortable with them. So Royce has moved himself officially in the I would like him off the team, please, column. He might be the only one for me, though. And yes, it's technically possible for him to do enough to prove that he can stay, but I just, I'm, I'm not interested in that. I would like to see if Rashid, and I don't have a, a lot of hope in Rashid Walker. I mean, it's kind of crazy to expect a seventh-round pick to just jump up and be like, no, no, we don't, need a, we don't need a premium first-round pick left tackle. I got this. I just can't imagine that's a thing. But you know what? Let's see what he can do. Myers and Runyon are massive. Really, 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 really want them to step up so we don't have to invest more capital in this. But if need be, fine. And I say we swing and we swing hard. Let's see if we can find somebody that can pass block and run block. That might be the first two rounds, like Elton Jenkins, and yes, like Josh Myers, swing and a miss, I guess. But let's do it. Trenches are important. Pass blocking with run blocking would be ideal. 
I know that's not the Packer way, but it would be pretty sweet if we could. Love, I don't want to say love doesn't matter because he's the most important piece, but I don't think there's anything Love can do to put himself all the way in either column. He's not going to get replaced after this year. The wide receivers and tight ends, though, it would be nice to get a little bit more clarity because there is a scenario where I could see us next year looking at wide receiver going, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe. It's going to be tough because it's, you know, who do, who do you actually want to get rid of? You're not going to get rid of Watson, but Reed does look good, and Dobbs is like the guy. But if there's a Jamar Chase type of guy sitting there, you're going to say no? There's a Justin Jefferson sitting there, you're going to say no? No, you're going to go get him. I'd love to get more clarity on the tight ends. I doubt that we invest more in that after going two relatively high picks back-to-back, but it's possible we could kind of at least get a gander at some blocking. And again, same thing on defense, man. I I would just, you know, Razul and Jair, like, they're here to stay. Keyshawn is pretty close to being in the we-need-to-replace-him category. Not on the team. He needs to be there as a kick returner, although that's becoming a question mark also. I don't want to jump to conclusions or anything, but, I mean, if, if... if you're not that guy, and you're not a slot guy, what are you, like an offensive gadget guy? I mean, I don't mind him as a kick returner, I'm just saying. So, slot corner, I think, is a thing to consider. And yes, we still have uh, Eric Stokes to figure out at some point. He'll be coming back, and we got to evaluate him as well. But I don't think we have a slot guy. I gotta, Stokes is a boundary guy. Razul is a boundary guy. Jair is a boundary guy. If we had Razul and Stokes were elite boundary guys, then fine. Jair, suck it up, you're going in the, in the slot. But we're not doing that. But aside from that, man, there's just there's a ton of questions everywhere. I mean, Rashawn is the guy. I'd love to get a little bit more from Lucas Van Ness, although he's a rookie, so you don't expect a ton. But Clark, I mean, I don't know, man. I'm just I'm on the fence about the guy. I think our defense gets a lot worse without him. But I also hate that it's like, well, we're not going to draft somebody because we already have Clark and we already have Wyatt and we already have these other two guys and we already have Slayton. I don't want to create a choke point where we can't bring anybody else in because we have a bunch of mediocre players there somebody's got to step up and somebody's got to step down. We got to start sorting these out in terms of who are the guys that we need on this defense and who are the guys that are not serving a purpose. And then the safeties, I mean, they're just playing for their jobs. So um, what I would like to do, actually, since tomorrow is Saturday, which is college football day, and it'll give us something to kind of keep an eye on, I suppose. Uh, and I haven't really done this yet, and some of you may find it premature, but it all, whether you care about the draft or not, the bottom line is it's a question of how do we want to build this team moving forward. That is the question for today. So I want to go through the guys that are currently seen as the top prospects and then just see how they fit. I just want to try the glove on, see how it fits. That's all I'm saying. So with that, why don't we just take our final break right away. We'll come back and we'll just rip through this. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. All right, so right out of the gate, I'm, I'm going to dismiss the idea of drafting a quarterback. There is a unbelievably, infinitesimally small chance that things really start to tank. They really start to turn south. We end up with a top pick and an opportunity to trade up, for example, and get, let's say, Caleb Williams. If that's the case, there is a, you know, if we're picking in the top three and can possibly get the guy or Drake May or whatever... I mean, and that assumes love just completely implodes from here on out. Maybe they would be forced to um, to consider it at that point. But I'm more or less just going to rule that out. From there, however, let's say we do get that really, really high pick. Let's say this was a indication of what's to come. And a lot of people don't like Jordan Love, but we have to accept the fact that he's not going to go after just one year. 
The next, uh, the the first highest non-quarterback on the list. We're very unlikely to get him, but let's just let's just talk about it because I mentioned it earlier. Is Marvin Harrison Jr. wide receiver out of Ohio State? He is widely seen as well. We've seen the success of the Ohio State quarterbacks or the wide receivers coming out recently. Imagine somebody saying he's like Garrett Wilson, but he's better than Garrett Wilson. Last year, he had one thousand. 263 yards and 14 touchdowns, 90 PFF grade, 89.9 receiving grade. This year, he has 336 yards and three touchdowns. He has just a 69 PFF grade and a 67 receiving grade, which obviously is nowhere near what you would expect, at least from a grade standpoint, but uh, already a 160-yard two-touchdown game and a 126-yard uh, one-touchdown game. He is six foot four, 205 pounds. And so again, we ask the question, Wide receiver is not the biggest need, right? We desperately need a tackle. There are tackles available. We could trade back a little bit, get some more draft capital, and get a tackle. Or we could just take one here. But what if I told you that this guy was very, 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 very likely to be a top 10 wide receiver? Would that or would that not be tempting? Now, personally, if I had to guess, I would guess the Packers would not draft Marvin Harrison. I think the fan base would be livid about that. I think they would go in a different direction. Marvin Harrison would go on to have a great career, and Brian Gutekunst would never hear the end of it, regardless of how good anybody else does. But, you know, final thought on Marvin Harrison is not only is he seen as just a really good wide receiver, the guy's six foot four and is, you know, expected to be like a four three guy. So you start thinking about what Miami's doing. And I know Miami is more than just fast wide receivers, but it, it certainly doesn't hurt. You've got two guys at six foot four plus running in the four threes in this offense. That is a really appealing proposition. After that is Jared Verse, edge rusher out of Florida State. I don't really expect to go edge rusher. I know you should never really count it out, but I'm going to more or less count it out. Fifth overall prospect is Brock Bowers, tight end out of Georgia. Now, really, really, really would doubt it. Packers taking a tight end in the top 10. We just drafted two last year. They like Musgrave already. Bigger needs than tight end. It just seems nearly impossible. I do think that there is a case that could be made, but it would have to come from a place of, number one, we want to use a lot of tight ends. Number two, this guy is a basically a, a wide receiver slash tight end. And number three, he also can block. If we're going real early on a tight end, you are a premier blocker and a premier receiver. You are a tight end and a wide receiver. You are all of that. If you're not exactly that, and even if you are, it's a big question mark. If you're not exactly that, forget it. Not worth it. Then you got Alabama corner Kool-Aid McKinstry. Again, I just, I cannot necessarily see this being a thing. Um, I mean, if, if we want to put him in the slot, but then if you're going to relegate him primarily to the slot, which you wouldn't, I mean, you wouldn't draft him this early. The only way you would do this is we're going to say this guy is going to be our... What we want to do is put Jair as our slot guy. So what we can have is with two wide receivers, it's Jair and Kool-Aid. With three, it's Kool-Aid, Jair in the slot, and then either Razul or Stokes. And, and ideally, it eventually is Stokes, you know, when Razul moves on. Then we got, that's our three, and we got this thing locked down. You could sell me on that. I mean, if again, if, if you're going to sell me on... I think one of the beneficial ways to look at this is to just envision one of the top players at the position. So let's say instead of Kool-Aid, it's Sauce. Sauce Gardner. 
Because then it gets to be like, you know what, we don't need a corner, that's not our number. But what if I told you it was Sauce Gardner? That's when it becomes interesting. Then you're talking, again, if there's two wide receivers, you got Sauce Gardner and Jair Alexander. Holy crap. So can you convince me of that? Absolutely you can. And as much as I've been against Jair in the slot, this is the one way in which I look at it and go, you know what, maybe we can do that. Then you get to the pick that makes the most sense. And that's Olu Fashanu, offensive tackle out of Penn State. He's the best pure pass blocker in this draft. At least that's my understanding of it. A lot of these other guys that we looked at so far, uh, despite being really good last year, they didn't really, they're not really living up to the hype this year. Um, Fashanu, who really is not a very good run blocker, so he's perfect for the Packers. Six foot six, 319. 2021, he had an 88 pass blocking grade, didn't give up a single sack, hit, or hurry. 2022, he had an 85 pass blocking grade, give up a hit and six hurries. So far this year, he has a 91 pass blocking grade. He's given up one hurry so far, and he has a 62 run blocking grade, which sounds exactly like a Packer. He is a left tackle, and he's only ever played left tackle. And as much as the Packers like versatility, in this instance, I could see that being just completely fine. That one doesn't really need a whole lot of selling, right? Then you've got the bunch of other guys that are at the similar positions. Uh, Kalen King, another corner. Uh, Igbuka at Ohio State, wide receiver. Uh, Joe Alt, offensive tackle, Notre Dame. That rounds out the top 10. So if we are picking that high, that's kind of what we're looking at. And, the, and those are the relatively the premier positions anyways. Not tight end, obviously, but you're looking at tackles, edge rushers, which you probably don't want, corner, wide receiver, etc. If we're just outside of that, the one guy that stands out, and he's probably going to fall, fall inside the top 10 anyways, is Jerzon Newton, defensive lineman, defensive tackle out of Illinois. Six foot two, 295. Um, he had a, I forgot what week it was, we were basically like live streaming during one of the Illinois games and we were getting some of the updates. I don't know if it was against Kansas or Penn State, but he was absolutely tearing everything up. However, as of right now, 79 PFF grade, 77 run defense grade, 75 pass rush grade. He has 17 pressures on 143 attempts, which is just barely above 10%. But last year, 92 PFF grade, 92 run defense, 85 pass rush, 59 pressures on 423 attempts and four sacks. The, the, the big thing here is it would be nice to have somebody that isn't like a one-way player, right? Kenny seems to be at this point just a pass rusher. Wyatt, just a pass rusher. Wooden, pass rusher. Brooks, pass rusher. Slayton, just a run defender. It'd be real nice to get a really, really, really good pass rusher that also is a pretty dominant run defender. And if Jerzon Newton can be that, as much as we already got a bunch of guys there, I am all, 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 all for it. But it has to be that. It has to be both. If you're just a run defender, screw that second round at the earliest. If you're just a pass rusher, I mean, you hate to just stick your nose up at, at an interior pass rusher if you truly believe he is a elite pass rusher. But, like, we, Kenny's doing a good job. We got Wyatt, we got Wooden, we got Brooks. Even if this guy's better than all of them, I mean, I, yeah, maybe. But if you can't stop the run, I, I just, I can't invest a top 10-ish pick in you. There's no way. Then we got Cooper DeGene, and he's a super interesting guy. He, he primarily plays corner. He is listed, at least on the site that I'm looking at, as a safety. It seems as though his strengths are run defense and tackling. So I'm guessing there's an expectation 
that he would be moved to safety. The thing that I kind of like about him, aside from just loving watching him play, is that no matter where you think he belongs, it kind of makes sense. I could almost see him as being sort of a honey badger type of guy. He's sort of a safety box slot guy, you know, like a strong safety that plays some in the slot, some up high. And I think that's such a cool, versatile piece to have for a team that needs help in the slot and really needs somebody to be more of an enforcer in the middle of the field and run defense. That also just happens to be really solid in coverage. Because last year, and again, not as good this year so far, 88.5 overall, 88.6 run defense, 89 tackling, 88.3 coverage grade. He was targeted 72 times. Three of those were caught for 422 yards. He gave up two touchdowns, had five picks, five pass breakups, a 49.7 passer rating when targeted. So there does need to be more clarity on what exactly he's going to do. But I do think that regardless, the fact that he's a versatile piece that kind of fixes a couple different needs on the team is a pretty valuable thing. Now, if you just see him as an outside corner, then no, I'm good. I don't need like a pretty good cover guy that's really good at tackling like that's nice but you know no thanks another safety op- uh, option would be Cameron Kinchins he's more of a just actual real true safety currently 83.5 run defense grade 88 tackling grade 67 coverage grade but he was much better uh, pretty solid last year I don't think that that's a concern for him four targets four receptions 42 yards and a pick is what he's given up so far this year in coverage 70.8 passer rating so I, I, I borderline feel a little bit better about him. I mean, we got to see how this plays out. I haven't actually ever watched him play. But, you know, the tweeners kind of make me nervous. If, if he can be like, no, he's a safety and he's good in run defense and he's solid in coverage, there's no concerns then. That's, that would make much more sense. But Cooper DeGene is a really, really fun player to watch. And if we can just get some clarity on what exactly his role would be, I think he could be a really good football player. And then it's not until, at least right now, the early second round when you start getting into running backs, which makes sense because I think if it's first round, then we probably wouldn't do it anyways. But the top running back right now via NFL Mock Draft database is Travion Henderson, Ohio State. So far this year, 44 carries, 295 yards, 6.7 yards per attempt, five touchdowns, no fumbles, 77 running grade, 5'10", 212 pounds. Um, again, the who isn't what's necessarily the most important. Question has more to do with is that a legitimate option? We got presumably two first round picks, or excuse me, two second round picks. One of them is likely to be relatively early, which is where he's expected to go. Do we see that as an option? Pairing a guy like Travion Henderson with Aaron Jones, that is an eventual Jones replacement. Otherwise, you got Braylon Allen from Wisconsin, expected to be around pick 48. Blake Corum, Michigan, that guy's kind of fun to watch, though I don't really know how super excited about a 5'8", 213-pound running back the Packers would be. But dude is a lot of fun. 58 carries, 351 yards, 6.1 yards per attempt, 8 touchdowns. Or do you just say that's not really a priority and we wait until a little bit later on? Because the other thing that you're not going to find, at least as of right now until the second round, is interior offensive line, which a lot of people would like rectified. If we're going to do that, as of right now, it's not a very good class for that. The earliest projection right now is 58th uh, center Cedric Van Pran. 6'4", 310 pounds, 74 run blocking grade, 77 pass blocking grade, so not massively elite, but I guess good enough. Three hurries given up so far. In his four-year career, he's given up one sack, one hit, and 22 hurries. Otherwise, Donovan Jackson is the only other kind of late second-round pick. So there's, there's, there's like nobody on the interior. 
So, looking back over this, day one of the draft, we're not replacing A.J. Dillon, we're not replacing Josh Myers, we're not replacing John Runyon. And this is where I think it gets frustrating for a lot of people because we look at the team and we go, well, I would like th this half of the team replaced. And it's like, bro, that's not going to happen. We really got to prioritize here. Like if I told you that Myers and Runyon are going to have a rough year and they're going to get a mulligan and they're going to be back next year, everybody would throw a fit. But that might be the situation. Myers and Runyon might not rebound. They might just have a bad year and they might just be back next year anyways. GMs just don't have the ability to turn over half a roster. Not successfully, anyways. I mean, not, not at all, period, but certainly not successfully. So, I mean, as it stands right now, we know David Bakhtiari's done. Like, that was pretty much a thing that we knew, but now, given the severity of the knee and, and kind of having more clarity on how incredibly bad that is, if we have an opportunity to draft a premier lineman, I say we do it. And I'm sure some people would say, well, why waste a first-round pick on it? The Packers are really good at finding guys like in the fourth round. That's not something you can bank on. You can't say, never mind, we'll nail it in the fourth. I mean, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not passing up on a premier left tackle, presumably. There's no guarantees in the first either. But you got a guy that you you grade out as, as one of the best guys you've ever had the opportunity to draft as a Green Bay Packers GM and you let him pass because you just trust that we'll just get some guy that we graded as not being very good in the fourth round to come out and be a stud. There's no way. Aside from that, I don't really know. Again, I, I would love to get some more information. Do we have to get rid of Myers and Runyon? I would love to get the trenches figured out. It doesn't feel like that needs to be the biggest priority, but it would be nice to move forward if we can. But then again, you know, not a super strong class. Do we go get another defensive tackle? I mean, we can get a safety, but how many of our problems that you can remember this year have been because of a safety? Very, 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 very few. It would be nice to really isolate, like, man, if we just had one of these guys, it could really change stuff. But it, at, at right now, it's so hard to kind of pin that down. So I think today, as it stands, left tackle is double-circled, triple-underline, massive need. And although, yes, we could probably move Elton out, the, the fact that we, can, we have the opportunity to draft a premier offensive lineman that is a tackle early, I'm assuming we do. I think you do it. If we had a bunch of great interior guys, we could explore it, but that's being questioned right now. Otherwise, maybe a guy like uh, Chris Jenkins' defensive tackle out of Michigan. I mean, Jerzon, again, if you think he can be the guy on the interior, do it. But maybe a little bit later in the first, early second. Uh, Chris Jenkins, as of right now, from what I can see, appears to be mostly a run defender, and he seems very, very good at it. Again, I would hate to just keep swinging and swinging and swinging along that defensive line, but we got to get that figured out, man. We got to be better at that. So mark it down, 929, 930 in 2023. The priority, at least for me, is the trenches. We're losing in the trenches, and it's a problem. We can't run, we can't stop the run, and now suddenly we can't pass block. We're deteriorating in the trenches. We'll see how this evolves as time goes on. I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have a good rest of your day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.